0: Hey everybody, welcome to Hope. My name is Scott Rains, I'm one of the pastors here. And as Christy said, we would really encourage you to volunteer in any of our ministries, but particularly children's ministry. That was footage of training for volunteers for children's (laughs) ministry. No, just kidding. Not at all. It's a clip from a movie called Here Comes the Boom. And Kevin James plays a high school science teacher who they're facing some budget cuts in his school. So he decides to become an MMA fighter and he's going to donate the winnings from all of his uh, cage matches to help uh, the school out. And you know, we're moving closer and closer to a phase two expansion, and I think maybe some people wonder, what's Scott going to give to that? Maybe Scott could become a cage fighter and donate the winnings to that, but I don't think that'll be happening. There's other staff members who'd be much better at that uh, than I am. No, I wanted to show you that, that clip because it's summertime, and summertime is usually a time where people are talking about how great, and, you know, summer's just going so fast, and I don't want it to end. This summer seems to be a little bit different. And conversations that I'm having with people, instead of talking about how great summer has been, a lot of people are talking about how life seems to be you know, just kind of punching them in the face this summer, whether it's floods or tornadoes or financial issues or relational strife. A lot of people are just having a hard summer, and, and maybe that's you. I, I really like that the MMA trainer references Genesis 32 at the end of that uh, training day. He talks about Jacob and how Jacob spends an entire night, one night, wrestling with God. If I were to ask you what's the status of your faith these days, maybe for some of you that's exactly what you would say. It feels like one giant wrestling match. You got questions, and it doesn't seem like God's providing a whole lot of answers, You've been experiencing some hurt and some pain, it doesn't seem like God's showing up to provide a whole lot of healing. You want to be going in one particular direction, and it seems like every time you move that way, God says, "Uh uh-uh, I want you to be going a different way. And you're like, why? Why this way? It doesn't make any sense, and you're confused. Jacob spends an entire night wrestling with God. And then as dawn begins to break the next morning, something changes. Uh, God blesses Jacob. Jacob. God gives Jacob a new name. Jacob names this place where he's wrestled with God, Peniel. Let's all say that together. Peniel. Peniel is the Hebrew word for face of God. The face of God. Jacob spends an entire night wrestling face-to-face with God. He has a face-to-face encounter with God, and it's a game changer for Jacob. And the writer of Genesis, as he's talking about this moment in Jacob's life, here's what the writer says. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, the sun was rising. A new light was beginning to shine. Our theme this year at Vacation Bible School has been shine. And I think every year at Vacation Bible School, there's something powerful that God does throughout the course of this week. I always say back in 2007, summer of 2007, our very first Vacation Bible School, that's really when we became a church. We'd been meeting for worship for well over a year at that point, but when we all came together to accomplish that one week of vacation Bible school, something changed. And over the course of the 12 years that I've been uh, here at Hope Ankeny, there have been several times, several summers where you know VBS was kind of this momentum shifter for us as a congregation. There, there were times when maybe uh, things were feeling heavy and dark. Uh, Times where our focus was off, we'd gotten off mission. Times when the the vision was unclear, the future was uncertain, and then VBS week rolled around on the calendar, and it was like a new dawn was breaking for this congregation. God was starting a new day, shining a fresh light on this congregation. That, That word light is an important word as it relates to what does it mean to be people of faith. When you think about all the way from the beginning to the end of the Bible, this idea of light shining is a a central theme. What does it mean to be people of faith? At the very beginning, at the creation of the heavens and the earth, one of the first things God creates is light. He just speaks. Let there be light, and boom, there's light. You read through the Psalms, and the Psalm writers uh, time and again will reference this connection between light and who God is and how faith works. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. I'm the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light that leads to life. The light that leads to life. When's the last time you tried walking in the darkness? I did just this, you know, what are we, about seven hours ago, four o'clock in the morning. I'm walking through the dark, and I have to, like, put my hand on, you know, the wall or the dresser. I don't feel steady when I'm walking in the darkness. It feels like it's gonna be easy to fall and I'm worried I'm gonna step on something that's gonna hurt. A whole lot better to walk in the light than in the darkness. The Bible's really clear on this. The light is what gives us, helps us see, it gives us our vision. Over and over again, God casts vision to individuals, to families, to whole entire communities of people. Here's where I want you to go, God says. This is who I want you to be. And often God has to cast vision through other people. He he uses the prophets in the Old Testament to be vision casters. God says to the prophet Habakkuk, write the vision, make it plain on tablets because God understands how easy it is for us as human beings to forget where we are going, to forget where God is sending us, to forget who God wants us to be. So many voices in our life trying to tell us, here's what matters most. This is the direction you should be going. And so God says, we got to keep casting this vision and it needs to be clear enough and understandable enough and simple enough that people will get it. Write it on tablets, make it plain, God says. And so that's what we're going to try to do today. We're in the middle of a message series called The Heart of Hope. Last week, we looked at our mission statement. Today, we're going to be focusing in on what is the vision that God has given us as a church. It's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. To be a spirited, growing, and Christ-centered community filled with hope. One more time. A spirited, growing, and Christ-centered community filled with hope. Three main components to the vision God's given us at Hope. The first is spirited. What does it mean to be a spirited church? Toward the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus starts to spend a great deal of time talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be leaving soon, but don't worry. I'm going to send you this gift of the Holy Spirit. After his resurrection, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And it happens in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, sometimes referred to as the birthday of the church. And when the Holy Spirit gets poured out on those first Christians, those first followers of Jesus, some pretty incredible things start to happen miraculous things, supernatural things. Sometimes the phrase that gets used to describe how do we know when the Spirit is alive, when the Spirit is active, sometimes the phrase that gets used is signs and wonders. Everybody say that, signs and wonders. And that accompanies the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It happens in the book of Acts. People begin speaking in tongues, different languages, spiritual languages. There starts to be miraculous healings happening all over the place. The manifestation of the Spirit. How do we know when the Spirit is alive and active? It's accompanied by signs and wonders. a lot of times people think, well, it happened in the Bible times, but that doesn't happen anymore. That's not what we believe at Hope we have people in this church who speak in tongues. We don't do it in worship services. The Bible's pretty clear on that. It's not all that helpful when people are speaking in tongues in worship services. It confuses people. It raises more questions than, than answers. And so it's not that helpful. But there are other places, other settings where it makes a ton of sense to be speaking in tongues. And people in this congregation do it. We also have miraculous healings happening in this congregation on a pretty regular basis. Earlier this week, a prayer request came in. There had been an accident and somebody had been hurt really bad and the, the uh, doctor's prognosis was not good, what was probably going to end up happening. And so the prayer request came in, the prayer team started praying, and it did not go the way the doctors had anticipated it was going to go. We got good news. There's still a, a long recovery, but it didn't end up in the bad place that the doctors had been talking about. We think that's God showing up and doing something through the power of the Holy Spirit because of prayer. Miracles and signs and wonders accompany the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's part of what it means to be a spirited church. It's not the only thing. A big part of what it means to be a spirited church is that you understand there are spiritual gifts that God gives to people. Uh, writing to a church in a city called Corinth, Paul's trying to help the people understand how to live together as you know, the people of God. And Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Sometimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, again, I think we get this really, like, where's the halo, and do I, do I grow wings when I get a spiritual gift? How does this work? It's not as weird or complicated as a lot of times we, we make it out to be. There are several places in the Bible where it just gives us some lists. These are some of the spiritual gifts, and everybody gets one. God gives spiritual gifts to everybody, not the same spiritual gift to everybody, but a spiritual gift, at least one to everybody, and we are to use them for the sake of helping each other. I think Vacation Bible School Week gives us a really good picture. What does it actually look like when a community of faithful people are using their gifts for the sake of helping each other? I was thinking about what, what would it look like? What would Vacation Bible School Week look like? What would Taste of Hope look like if it was completely up to me to pull it off? And the answer is pathetic. I'm good for about half of a skit and that's it. And, and then we would have sent the kids home and they'd have been done on Monday afternoon. So it's so good that so many people, different roles, different gifts, using what God has given them to make an, an awesome week happen. It starts with the parking lot team. I mean, there, there, there are people in the parking lot as hundreds of cars are coming in, and hundreds of kids are walking into this building w- with their parents and guardians and friends, and we want to make sure everybody is safe, and the parking lot team helps that be a real smooth and safe process. Inside the building, we've got public safety team, and we've got nurses, so that we want everyone who comes to just know this is a safe place where you can encounter God's love. We got the song leaders. I mean, you love watching the kids sing those songs and do those dances, and they're going to be listening to those CDs for months and months on end, and you're going to learn them. So the song leaders, though, it, it's unbelievable how much energy they have. If you want to just get in shape and lose weight, come be a song leader. But not only that, they, they exercise spiritual fitness as well. They gather backstage before each session, they talk about God moments, they pray for God to use them uh, for the kids to understand what worship is all about, and the kids really, they teach us a little something about spirited worship during Vacation Bible School. It's good for us. A whole bunch of people in this church are gifted with administrative and organizational gifts. They don't give them a microphone, they don't want to talk into a camera, But you get them behind the scenes and they can organize things in such a way that parents aren't annoyed and frustrated and things just flow smoothly. And we experienced that this week. Uh, Along with all of those, there's uh, one body volunteers. These are the volunteers who work with our special needs kids and, and their families. There's a science crew. There's a kitchen crew, there's a cleanup crew, and just goes on and on and on. The production team, how about the production team? I'm tempted to feel sorry. Yeah, yeah. praise God for the production team. I'm tempted to feel sorry for them because it's a whole lot of work in several weeks leading up to Vacation Bible School Week, and then after this service, they're going to start tearing all this stuff down and shipping it back to wherever it came from. But they have so much fun doing it, I don't feel sorry for them at all. Plus, they had a whole, like... 50-gallon tub of cheese balls up in the loft that they <laughs> plowed through this week. That's fantastic stuff. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So it takes everybody using their part, the gifts that God has given them, for the sake of accomplishing God's purposes. That's a big part of what it means to be a spirited church. But that's not the only thing. We'll talk more about what it means to be a spirited church a little bit later in the message. Paul writes to another church, a church uh, in Ephesus, And he makes this interesting connection between being a spirited church and a growing church. That's our vision, spirited and growing. Here's what Paul says. In fact, let's read this together, Ephesians 4, 16. On the screen, read it with me. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Healthy things grow. It's the way God set up the world to work. Healthy things grow, and we want to be a growing church, which does not mean let's focus on how do we grow, how do we grow, how do we grow. Our primary fo- focus is how do we get healthier as a congregation. We understand the healthier we get, growth is just going to be the natural outcome uh, that accompanies that. So, in, in a lot of churches, there's very few people who do everything. In healthy churches, everybody, everybody does their own special work, the spiritual gifts that God has given them to help the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing. And then look what it leads to, full of love. 1 Corinthians 12 is this list of of spiritual gifts. And Paul's talking about how the spiritual gifts are at work in the church. You turn the page to 1 Corinthians 13, and it's the love chapter. Paul says, I'll show you an even better way. The most important thing that the Spirit does is connected with love. A spirited church is all about love. A growing church is all about love. Use your spiritual gifts to help each other become healthy and growing and full of love. Our a theme on Wednesday during Bible school week was love. And the, the scripture passage was a Jesus sermon on the mount. And part of what Jesus says in the sermon on the mount is, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Think about how amazing that is. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world, and then he says to a bunch of people who've gathered together on a hill in the middle of nowhere, a place where nobody ever really thinks about or cares about, people who are overlooked, people who think they don't have anything to offer, and Jesus says to them, you're the light of the world. doesn't matter if your light is big or a teeny tiny light, Jesus says, let your light shine out for the world to see. And so uh, one of the gifts that we have in this congregation, people who are gifted as storytellers, and they use object lessons, and they call the kids up as volunteers to try to help connect the story and what Jesus is doing to the lives of a preschooler or an elementary school student. How do you let kids like that understand what does it mean to be the light of the world, to shine your light for the world to see? And so they enlisted the help of Kid President. See if Kid President will help you understand how you can be the light of the world take a look
1: there are lots of ideas how you can change the world some people think you should just complain about it I won't change the world it will just make it mad some people think you have lots of money money making it rain everywhere you go Holla for a dollar. Some people think you have to be really loud and yell a lot. It's like with a bullhorn, shouting. Hey you, yeah you, do it my way, right now, you heard? Other people choose to just make fun of everything. That's dumb, that's dumb, everyone's dumb. It's easier to make fun of stuff, but it's cooler to make stuff. Some people think changing the world can only be done by the smartest person in the world. Just put them in a room, let them figure it out. The solution of world hunger? Food. Wow, that was like so amazing. Some people see the bad in the world and they just decide to ignore it. But that won't help anything. Some people think you have to be really famous It's super cool. In fact, lots of people think you have to be really powerful to make a difference. Like being mayor or senator or president. But the truth is, a title doesn't make you more important. The world is changed by you. It's one person filled with love. And they just have to live it out, so they do something awesome. Then that person is filled with love, and they do something awesome. It just goes on and on and on and on. And the next thing you know, everything's awesome. Some people think it's impossible to change the world.
0: It's impossible to change the world.
1: Well, you can see why they could think that. Living in the world with kids who are hungry, people who are homeless, families weren't happy. I'm just trying to figure it out like everybody else, ma'am. I do know this though. Next time you feel overwhelmed or totally alone, remember this. Things don't have to be the way they are. The world is changed by ordinary people. Little people living out big love. And that's what gives the world a reason to dance.
0: Kid President. What does it mean to be the light of the world? One person filled with love, doing something awesome for somebody else, filling them with love and then it starts to grow, it starts to spread. It's almost like Kid President had read Ephesians 4. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We want to be a growing church, and we talk about that in a couple of different ways. We want to grow uh, deeper as a church. Growing deeper is all about understanding God's love for us more and more all the time, and having that love change us. Growing wider is sharing that love with more and more people all the time. We want to be a growing church, not so that we can make a list of the fastest growing churches in the country, but so that we can be healthy, so we can be growing, so we can be filled with love. And that leads to the third part of our vision statement, spirited, growing, and Christ-centered. This is a Jesus church, first and foremost. Always has been, always will be a Jesus church. We center everything on the person, the power, the presence of Jesus Christ. We love to praise the name, shout the name, proclaim the name of Jesus at this church. This part of the mission statement, the one word that kind of summarizes what does it mean to be a Christ-centered church is this word love again. It comes from John chapter 13. where Jesus has gathered with his disciples the night before he's going to be crucified. He washes their feet. Uh, then they share the Passover meal together. He institutes a communion. And then Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Here's the new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Love each other just as I have loved you. Now, if you're paying attention at all, you should be saying... That is not a new commandment. I mean, when they ask Jesus what's the greatest of all commandments, he goes back thousands of years to Moses. Moses, who says the great commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving each other has always been the commandment that God wants. So why does Jesus say it's a new commandment? Well, he adds on this part, just as I have loved you. Just as, now we've got a model. Now we've got a perfect example. We've got God in human form who has shown us exactly what perfect love looks like. And Jesus says, my command is for you to love exactly that way. Sometimes uh, one of the complaints, complaints probably not the right word. One of the critiques we get at Hope is you know, we, we're not deep enough. You just talk about love. God loves you. God loves you. See you next week. God loves you. And uh, I sort of get it, but not really. I mean, people are like, why don't we talk about deeper theological kinds of things? Why don't we talk about soteriology or Christology or what's the deal with the hypostatic union anyway? Why don't we talk about Lutheran distinctives? What is it that makes us different from Arminians or Calvinists? What's our eschatological hope? And on and on it goes. I think you start to get the idea. And, and it's not that there's anything wrong with talking about deep theological matters and having debates over these sorts of things. That's okay, that's important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've got to keep our mind engaged in this process. But if you think the only way to be deep is to talk about theological stuff, I think Jesus would say, you're kind of missing the point. He doesn't say to his disciples, the world will know that you are followers of me by how well you can articulate theological truth. He says, the world will know you're my followers by the way you love one another. Your love for one another will prove to everybody that you're a follower of Jesus. In other words, if you want to be deep, the question to be asking yourself is, how am I doing when it comes to love? Maybe don't ask yourself that. Maybe ask the people in your life how are you doing when it comes to love in the sermon on the mount jesus says you're the light of the world let your light shine out for the world to see and then he talks about how do you do that and and a big part of it has to do with love here's part of what jesus says just a couple of verses later love your enemies love your enemies He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. A new command I give you, Jesus says. Love each other just as I have loved you. Jesus loves his enemies. He loves his family even though his family most of the time doesn't understand what in the world Jesus is doing and they're kind of embarrassed by him. Jesus loves Peter who denies him. Jesus loves the people who are spitting on him and mocking him while he's breathing his last breaths hanging on the cross. Jesus loves enemies and he calls us to love our enemies as well. Uh, There's a story told of a seminary professor. Seminary is the school you go to 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 get your degree that's part of your training to become a pastor. So there's a seminary professor who could have been a VBS storyteller for us this week, used a lot of uh, kind of elaborate uh, object lessons. So one day the students walk into class and the professor has put a huge target on the wall. He hands them all a piece of paper and some colored pencils and he says, I want you to draw a picture of someone you're having a hard time loving maybe someone you're angry at, someone who hurt you, maybe it's your enemy, draw a picture of them. And then he showed him, I've got some darts and we're gonna put these pictures on the target and we're gonna throw darts at it. And so one of the students began to draw this face, the face of the seminary professor, uh. taking a great deal of time to make sure all the details were just right, looking forward to putting that up on the target and throwing darts at that professor. And then they all got in line and one after another. And some of them were throwing the darts really hard. It's like ripping their drawings. And it's fantastic and very cathartic kind of experience. And then the professor called them into it, says, we really need to get started with class. And the person who had drawn the picture of the professor did not get an opportunity to go. And so they're kind of bummed about that as they're sitting back down at their seat and then the professor goes up to the wall and he takes the target off the wall and behind the target was the face of Jesus ripped and torn from all the darts that had been hitting it eyes plucked out and the professor looks over the room of men and women being trained to be pastors to go out and to lead churches to be people who love the way Jesus loves and the professor says I tell you the truth Whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do to me. Of course, Jesus wants us to love the people who love us and be kind to the people who are kind to us. And of course, Jesus is going to call us to a deeper kind of love. Love the way I have loved you, sacrificially. Love when it's hard. Love when it doesn't make sense. If you want to be a deep Christian... How are you doing when it comes to love? I don't know about you, i got a long way to go. I have a hard time loving the people who love me and are good to me and are kind to me, let alone trying to figure out what it looks like to love my enemies. And sometimes I think the truth is the enemy that it's hardest for me to love is myself. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. You ever find yourself in that place? Sometimes after you've been following Jesus for a while, you find yourself just kind of going, I should be better at this by now. Why haven't I figured this out? And it's so easy to just uh, heap loads of guilt and shame on yourself and this critical inner voice just beating you down. Greatest command is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes the starting place is figuring out, how do I love myself? Which means recognizing we're not perfect. We've messed up multiple times and there is a God whose love for us is perfect. has grace for us every time. Forgiveness for us every time. And as we actually learn to accept that forgiveness and grace, receive that forgiveness and grace, it goes to work changing us so that we can love ourselves, so that we can actually love the people in our lives well, so that we can shine our light in a completely different kind of way that brings honor and glory to Jesus. That happens more and more all the time as we become a church that moves into this vision that God has for us, spirited and growing and Christ-centered spirited and growing and christ-centered i think uh there's a story in luke chapter 7 that really is a good uh, picture for what does it look like to become people who've received that grace who receive that forgiveness and and are able to love well luke chapter 7 jesus shows up at a party he's kind of the guest of honor and all the other people there are super important really smart people powerful people and then there's someone who crashes the party The Bible describes her as a sinful woman. She's got a reputation in that community. Everybody knows you stay away from that woman. She would never be welcome in a place like this. But she comes crashing in, and she goes to Jesus. She's carrying an expensive jar of perfume. She begins to anoint his feet with the perfume. She is crying tears, dropping all over Jesus' feet. And everybody else in this room is kind of looking around at this, going, awkward, awkward. I mean, what would you be thinking? What would you be doing if something that strange started to happen? Jesus is not embarrassed or offended by what this woman is doing. He has no interest in telling her to stop, you know, move along. Everybody else is starting to get annoyed. And, and part of what they're mad about, this woman, her interruption means they're going to have less time to talk about deep theological issues with Jesus. But Jesus understands what she's doing. There's nothing deeper. There's nothing deeper than love. She's loving him. And Jesus allows it. He loves her in return. He's kind to her in return. And then Jesus looks around at that room. Hard-hearted Pharisees, religious leaders who think they got it all figured out. And here's part of what Jesus says to them. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Another way to talk about it is whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. This woman understood the power of God's love for her, the power of God's grace and forgiveness for her, and it caused her to want to love Jesus in return. Her love is not perfect, but her love is big, and she shows Jesus much love. This church, Lutheran Church of Hope, we are far from a perfect church. The way we reach out to the world around us is not perfect. But what we want, our desire, is to be a church that shows big love. Big love to Jesus, big love to the world around us. Spirited, growing, Christ-centered. It's all about love. You want to be a spirited church? Paul writes, God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You want to be a growing church, your faith is flourishing, and your love for one another is growing. You want to be a Christ-centered church, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. This is the direction we're going. This is who God has called us to be. And this is, we're probably never going to arrive this side of heaven, but we want to be moving in this direction more and more all of the time. My favorite part of Vacation Bible School this year was the song, "Power." The kids sang, it's the second to last song they sang for us today, and there's a part where all the kids and all the volunteers just shout out as loud as they possibly can, God's love is the power. It's awesome. So we're going to do that, but before we do, I want to ask you a couple of questions. What is it in your life that you feel powerless to change? Could be a behavior, a habit you can't seem to quit. Could be relational stuff that's going on and no matter what you do it doesn't seem to get any better it could just be discouragement when you you look at the world and everything that's going on you find yourself just kinda apathetic wanting to give up powerless to change anything to make any kind of a difference where is it in your life that you feel powerless while you're thinking about that i want to show you one more scene from this movie here comes the boom kevin james biology teacher is in the classroom trying to teach his students a little something about biology. I think what he ends up doing is casting a vision for us, what does it mean to be the church? Take a look.
2: Whoa, what's going on, Mr. Voss? Biology, Derek. Fair enough. Can someone tell me what happens when a cell stagnates? Okay, no one's listening to me. I will try again. Anyone know what happens to a stagnant cell? What's he
1: doing on the table? I don't know, something about cells. Malia. It's not good. Did you hear that?
2: It ain't good. People, a cell that is not in motion is not a productive member of the system. It ends up assuming all the other cells are gonna pick up the slack somewhere, but they don't. In fact, they imitate the stray cell until basically the whole organism begins to die. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? Biology is an amazing thing. And here's the good news. All that decays can be restored. It's just hitting anybody.
1: Like how a cut heals.
2: Like how a cut heals, Brian, my man.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, you got one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and once that cell is back on track, it creates energy amongst the other cells. That's what happens. It starts getting a little movement going. It gets a little rumble. Can I get a little rumble from everybody? Everybody just rumble in your seats right now for me. Just rumble a little bit. Okay, no rumble, that's fine. I'll be the lone rumbler up here. That's what I am, I'm a lone rumbler. But then the cell starts banging into the other cells. And the cells push back and go, hey, what are you doing to me? They hit into another one, hey, don't do that. Hey, that's my friend. You don't even know him. You don't know me either. I know you, we work together. Because then they hit a rhythm. A rhythm, and this is the beginning of the restorative process. So now, even if the entire system is close to dead, what happens? Martinez, come on, give me something. Oh no, not today. Oh no, not in my house. No, 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 no. Look out, here we come. Don't look up my pant leg, Derek. You're better than that. That's right over you. Come on, man. What do you say? If all the cells work together, what will happen. The
1: entire system is healed. Exactly.
0: The entire system is healed. Spirited, growing, Christ-centered community filled with hope. What if we hit our rhythm? I think we did this last week. What if we continue to do that more and more all the time? What if if we started to do it day after day after day, year after year after year? What might God want to do in and through this church as we carry out the mission he's given us, as we move into the vision that God has given us? I think it's pretty clear our best is yet to come for us as individuals, for us as a congregation, because God's love is the power. The kids believe that. I hope you believe that. What is it in your life you feel powerless to change? God's love is the power. Let's shout it out like we mean it on the count of three. One, two, three. God's love is the power. Maybe you should stand up and then you could get some air behind it. Let's stand up and I don't know what it is that you're powerless to change, but what if you actually believe God's love was the power to change it? What if it could change today? Shout it out like you really mean it. One, two, three. God's love is the power.